0: Hey, this is Tom, and before we get started, I wanted to share something pretty cool with you. I host my podcast on Buzzsprout, and Buzzsprout implemented a new feature called Fan Mail, which I want to try out. So what that means is if you go to the show notes for any episode, including the one you're about to listen to, there's a little link that says send a text message, and you can click that and just send a quick message, and that's pretty cool. Do not overthink this. It can just be a thought that you have. It can be as informal as a text message you would send a friend. We could be friends, right? I'm super excited about this because it's always sort of tricky to figure out, like, how to communicate via podcasts that don't have traditional comment sections and things. Of course, there's always the regular email and the SpeakPipe link on HiMyNameIsTom.com. But if you want to send a quick message, you can just click the Send a Text link and send me some mail. Now I'm going to send you to the episode. And welcome. Last season was season ten, but in the words of Spinal Tap, this one goes to eleven because this is episode one of season eleven. So thank you for joining me again. We have a whole lot to cover today, so this has the potential to be a longer ish episode. But that's yeah, that's what happens when there's a break. You know, stuff piles up, and then I'm excited to talk about it all. So hopefully it's gonna be a pretty fun episode. Uh, we're gonna start by talking about gear. I've got a couple messages that have come in during the break, and then we're going to dive into the main topic of today's show, which is all about uh, YouTube's invalid traffic bug, which is something that is very devastating to a number of YouTube channels, mine included, and it's something that's been affecting YouTube channels since really November 2022, but in August of 2023, it sort of, for one reason or another, really hit a whole bunch of channels mine included and it's it's a really terrifying thing if you're a youtube creator especially if you rely on youtube as you know a job but it's also i've been trying to glean some some sort of positive message to take away from it and it's also been a good reminder of what happens when you you know use another platform to make stuff so that's what we're going to be diving into For the majority of the show, but we have all kinds of other bits and pieces and housekeeping things and stuff to take care of before that. So the first thing I want to do is make sure to thank everybody who listened to my Ska podcast mini series during the break. I really appreciate that. I was so happy to get some positive feedback from that and people really enjoyed it and people's kind of shared, you know, their musical experiences with me and stuff. And that was really, really fun. And I hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't listen to those episodes because they popped up in your feed and you're like, this is not what I, it's not what I subscribe to, not what I'm interested in. If there's ever a time where you're, you know, out of podcast episodes and you're looking for something to listen to, I definitely encourage you to check out, you know, at least a couple of them because whether or not you like the genre of music, it's sort of the uh, the the power that music or art in general has to really just sort of help shape and be a be a very formative influence in somebody's life. So thanks to everyone who listened to that. That was a cool thing I think to do during the break rather than just having like seven weeks of nothing. It was fun to have, you know, something happen in every week. So we're back though and all kinds of stuff right now. This is perfect timing. I didn't know it would line up like this, but I am on a microphone that uh, just came out a couple days ago. I am using the Shure SM7DB And somebody yesterday in a couple's table live chat that Heather and I were doing said it stands for dead broke because it's a more expensive SM7B as a $499 microphone versus the SM7B's $399 price tag. And Shure announced this a couple days ago. As soon as I saw it, I ordered it. It came the next day, which was great. So super fast shipping. And I've been using it on a few things, testing it out. And people have been asking a lot of questions about it. So I'll give you kind of my initial review although i need to use it more um i do have my original sm7b right here so right now i'm using the sm7db on the the preset that i built for the roadcaster pro based on brody brazils we'll talk about this in a second but based on a video i watched that kind of like really talked about dialing in the sm7b with the roadcaster pro 2 That's what I'm using right now, and I have that same preset set on the original SM7B, so this right now is the new Shure SM7DB, and this right now is the original SM7B, both running through the RODECaster Pro 2. Could you hear a difference? Probably not. Probably not much. So this is the old SM7B, and this is the new SM7DB. No difference. (laughs) And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to SM7DB because it's it's just an SM7B with a booster built in. So the biggest difference between these signals is this microphone, the dB that I'm using, I only have 27 decibels of gain set on the RODECaster Pro 2, and I have the microphone's booster set to 28 decibels. Over here on the original SM7B, I have 56 decibels of gain, which a lot of older interfaces, especially in the original, the original RODECaster, they top out at 56 decibels. So this would be pushing the limits of a lot of interfaces. Newer stuff like the RODECaster Pro 2 and the Duo and the VOCaster and a lot of the new Focusrite Scarlets, the 4th gen Scarlets, have enough gain to power the original SM7B without the need for a booster. But going back over here to the DB, you this has a built-in booster just like the Blue Sona, just like the SE Dynacaster where you don't need, you, you will never need a booster even on other, um, you know, less powerful interfaces, which is a huge benefit. I used it on the third gen 2i2 yesterday for a live stream, and it worked great. That could never power the SM7B the way I liked it before. The downside being that I lost all of my EQ and stuff from the Rodecaster. So if you're curious, this, like I said, has my preset built into it, and now I've turned that off. So this is just the the microphone out of the box, the SM7DB just straight out of the box, and this is the original SM7B, no presets, just straight out of the box. So original SM7B, SM7DB, they sound the same, because they should sound the same. And let's see, I'll turn the processing back on here on the DB, so now we have our processing turned on, and then we'll go back over here to the original, and wait, I think I did something wrong. This is the original with processing, And now this is the dB with process. I got confused with my buttons over here. But what you can hear, I'll obviously be making a video about this that probably includes a lot of comparisons. But what you can hear is that there's not much of a difference in sound. Really, really any. Um, Maybe one of the bigger things is right now I can, now I'm like really, really far away from the SM7 dB. And if I turn up the gain, I think you're hearing a lot more hiss, but I'm still getting a decent signal and I am really far from the mic. Not that you could use it as a boom or anything, but I'm, I don't know, a foot and a half away from the microphone and still getting a signal. Now I'm coming back uh, close to the microphone. So it does give you the opportunity to not have to be right up on the mic while getting that sound. But truth be told, I mean, I I think my expectations were maybe a little bit high and I was for some reason expecting this to be an absolute game changer. I'm a little bit disappointed in the DB. It is a great microphone. It's an updated SM7B. Like How could you go wrong, right? The part where I'm disappointed is I was really thinking that with the Rodecaster Pro 2, I would be able to use less gain and get that SM7B sound with a much cleaner noise floor. And for whatever reason, as you just heard, the s m seven db at you know twenty six decibels versus the original at even like fifty six they're basically exactly the same so there's really there's really no difference which it wasn't you know wasn't the game changing thing that I was hoping it would be and I'm a little bit bummed by that so if you already have an s m seven b and you already are getting a signal with it, there's really no need to get this microphone it's not gonna It's not going to do anything new to your sound quality or workflow. It's just going to cost you $500. If you're using any of the new Rode stuff with an SM7B, like the Rodecaster Pro 2, the Duo, I think even the Streamer X, or similar devices with good preamps and a lot of built-in gain, you don't need the DB because you're not really going to even need to take advantage of that built-in preamp. If you want to, if you don't have a mic and you really don't have an interface or you have a really like less expensive or an older, less powerful interface, and you want that SM7B sound, then you can jump to the SM7DB and not have to worry about also having a really expensive interface with it. So I think I was, you know, I was expecting it to be something that it's not. So it's not that it's a bad microphone and that's why I'm disappointed. It's just sort of, you know, it's a very lateral move. And it's just sort of a lateral move, <laughs> I guess. But it's a great sounding microphone. It works great. There are some nice quality of life improvements in terms of the controls on the back. Of course, you do have a logo on the side and the housing's a little bit different, which I'm actually not much of a fan of. I prefer the original in those regards. But otherwise, it's it's the good old SM7B, just updated a little bit to be more compatible. Now you can take this, plug it into any interface that has phantom power, and you're going to be good to go, which is Awesome. So that's uh, the gear that I'm using right now. Before we jump into our main topic, let's catch up on a few messages. I do have three messages. Uh, some of these uh, were sent early in the break, so, you know, it might be a little less timely than they were then, but I appreciate everyone going to is Tom.com, scrolling down and using the little SpeakPipe link to submit your message so that we could hear what you're saying, and we're going to start off, friend of the show, Gil.
1: Hey Tom, this is Gil. I hope all is well. A crazy, funny thing just happened, and I feel like it's Drew's fault. Recently, I was commissioned to help produce a podcast. So a guy hit me up and says, hey, I need help producing a podcast. I say, great. So I help him set up his microphones to his Rodecaster Pro 2 and HDMI to a ATEM Mini ISO from the cameras, Everything is running fine except the ATEM Mini ISO. For some odd reason, only input for HDMI 4 works. I unplugged it, plugged it back in, nothing. The only thing that worked was I have a power adapter for the ATEM to USB. Uh, it's the same one that you use for the Rodecaster Pro 1. That one was able, when I plugged that in, I was able to get all the HDMI uh, inputs to work. I unplugged it and plugged the original cable that wasn't working. And I plugged it in and in the ATEM mini ISO was able to receive signal from all HDMI inputs. Technology be weird sometimes. It's just so crazy.
0: All right. So uh, Drew, you owe Gil an apology for that. What Gil was talking about if you didn't listen to a couple episodes back into last season. Uh, Drew, Uh, had like a tech issue where his Roadcaster Pro and this podcasting setup he had put together and tested out, worked flawlessly. And then when he set it up the exact same way with the client, it did not work. And it was just sort of, and then after that, it was working fine. And so we were trying to kind of get to the bottom of that and troubleshooting what you would do in those situations where you just sort of have to make it work no matter what. This is weird. This power thing is weird. It seems like my initial thought was there must be something wrong with the black magic power supply maybe that's failing and it needed more power but then if it worked again one thing i've learned as much as i love black magic stuff because it's you know it's very versatile and it makes a lot of really cool functionality super accessible is there is a little bit of black magic inside of it and it does weird stuff sometimes so i'm glad that it's working now but that's it's almost like you always have to have a backup power supply just in case now which is interesting Our next message comes with someone with the best name ever. This is from Tom. (laughs) Not me, but another Tom. And take it away, Tom.
2: Hello Tom, uh my name happens to be Tom as well. I am a new listener to your podcast and viewer of your YouTube channel. A friend of mine and I recently started a podcast and uh we're looking to improve the audio and in doing some research stumbled across your video on the Rodecaster Duo and some other microphone videos and really appreciate the content you put out there and the help it provided. Uh started kind of binge listening to some back episodes of your podcast and uh, you mentioned kind of mixing things up and keeping things fun and exciting and I must admit the video you and your wife did together uh, over the 25 mics uh, is probably one of my favorites so uh, maybe you guys consider doing some more of those couple videos together. And, uh, as far as ice skating, got stationed in Germany right out of high school, never ice skated before, and went with a young lady down to the I shrank and was hooked. And uh, after two years in Germany, came back to the States and actually ended up being a mascot for a minor league hockey team. So uh, stick with it. It is a fantastic, fun sport and a great hobby and uh, not to mention great exercise. So keep up the great content. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to taking one of your courses. Have a great day.
0: Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate that. On both both counts, I'm really glad you like the the channel and the podcast and everything. Congra- congrats on launching your show as well. Um, I I really do like experimenting with some videos. Since we've been on the break, I put out a couple more like different type of videos: the Canon XL1 retro- retrospective, the cell phone cameras versus real cameras videos. They were very different in term. There were a lot of things different about those, and it was fun to experiment with those. But yeah, the video with Heather. The 25 mic comparison video it was so much fun. She's kind of like the secret weapon because if I just put her in any video, then people will love it. <laughs> and so it's like I could take sort of a dull concept and make it great. I'm a little stuck with this microphone, the 7 SM7DB, because I did ask uh, community posts like, oh, you know, what would you like to see in the review? And the majority of replies are mics that people would like to see it compared to, which is great and makes sense. And of course, Heather was like, let me know if you want a female voice. We could do that. You know, I could jump in and do that. But part of me is like, that would be really fun. But I'd also, we would just be remaking that video because it's basically all the same microphones. The SM7B is even in that video. So this is a different mic, but it doesn't really sound that different compared to this. I don't know how to approach that because I feel like we would literally just be remaking the same video, but it was really fun. And as far as ice skating goes, uh, I am so jealous of your experience as a mascot i know that's got to be infinitely harder than it seems but it is like i don't need to be the mascot forever or for a season but i want to be our local team's mascot for like a day just for like one game i just want to i just want to so bad i love fuego for the coachella valley firebirds he is the best and yeah, in the whole world of mascots, it's like a thing that I don't know. I got, <laughs> I got way too interested in. Um, but I appreciate that. I've been keeping up with ice skating and stuff a lot. Actually, I've um, been working on learning to play goalie, which is incredibly difficult and physically just devastating, but so much fun. And actually, just as of today, we got our schedule. I joined. We started a new, very low level adult league team. And so our season starts in 2 weeks and all the way through March, so there's 21 games plus potentially playoffs. I've never done a team sport before and now I'll be doing adult league beer league hockey, so that should be pretty fun. Uh thanks again, Tom, so much for the message and the kind words. And our last message uh that came in during the break is from Jay. So take it away, Jay. Let's hear what you have to say. Yay.
2: Hey Tom, just got through listening to your latest Enthusiasm Project podcast, and like all your work and your videos, I greatly appreciated it. You spoke about Brody Brazil's YouTube videos for settings on the SM7B with the roadcaster Duo, and uh, took in, took in, I've taken his advice and uh, tried to set this up, and I think it's uh, pretty close to where I want it. He also had a video on the RE20, and I just switched to my RE20, and I like how that uh, sounds a little better now, too. And so I appreciate your help and your recommending other people who are helpful. Keep up the good work and keep up the good cheer. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Jay. I really appreciate that. That's what I mentioned earlier when I said, oh, we talked about the Brody Brazil thing. I'm really glad that was helpful because I think that's a very underrated tutorial. Brody is a professional broadcaster of 20 plus years. And he does such a great job of taking the knowledge that you would find in an environment like that, and then applying those principles to home studio equipment and stuff that's a little more accessible to, you know, like regular people. And so, yeah, that video about the SM7B with the RODECaster Pro 2 is super helpful. He has the RE20. I feel like I'm not 100% sure, Jay, but I feel like in the speak pipe audio, I don't know if your interface was selected because both clips kind of sounded the same and sort of sounded... Um, not like what I would normally expect from an SM7B and an RE20, which is absolutely no big deal. And I do things like that all the time. Because um, the most important thing is I'm really glad you got sounds you liked out of them. And those are such different microphones. So if you just go to YouTube and you search up, you know, SM7B Roadcaster Pro 2, you'll see that on a channel called Home Studio Pro. It is incredibly helpful. You don't have to go through and copy like every number exactly that Brody goes and like does each setting for. But he explains what each thing does, and it gives you a place to start, and then you can fine-tune it to your voice. So, like, the preset I'm using right now is based on his instructions, but it's not exactly the same as his because he and I have different voices, and, you know, and we're in different rooms while we're recording and everything like that. So that was incredibly helpful. Thank you again to everyone who submitted messages. If you want to do that anytime, of course, we will have a Q&A episode for episode five this season, as tradition dictates. But you don't have to wait for that. You can submit a message anytime. Just go to my name is Tom.com and then right there on that front page, scroll down a little bit, there's a thing that says leave a message for the podcast and you can record using whatever device you're on. Doesn't matter if it's a built-in microphone or a super fancy Pro Studio setup. All right, let's dive into the invalid traffic issue that is uh, potentially killing YouTube channels and very much negatively affecting my channel in ways that are scary. This is something that is very confusing. So I don't even know where to begin with this, really. I guess we could talk about what the invalid traffic bug is, which YouTube claims that it's not a bug. What has happened for a lot of creators at this point, it's in the thousands. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe in the tens of thousands, considering how many channels there are. There is a running list that somebody has been keeping online of channels that have actively spoken out about it. So people who have had this issue, not everybody has said something about it. And that list is now several hundred channels strong, ranging from, you know, several thousand-ish subscribers to up in, you know, the high six figures, low seven figures of subscribers. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of correlation to do with size of the channel. There doesn't really seem to be a correlation in terms of niche because it, it spans a whole bunch of different niches, there does seem to be a correlation in that a lot of the channels are kind of more leaning towards education, tutorials of some kind. So whether it's like me and my channel doing audio video tutorials and things and, or, and somebody else doing financial you know, explanations and tutorials, our niches are so different, but it's an educational channel. And I don't think that necessarily is what it is. I don't think it's being an educational channel, but I think those channels and the audiences that are going to them lead to the channel having a high CPM, which on YouTube is how much the channel makes for ads. Like how much, essentially, how much you earn per thousand views on YouTube is what the CPM is. And it's different for everybody. So you take multiple YouTube channels. And you see, you know, the same number of views, they're not going to be making the same amount of money in ad revenue. It's going, it's going to vary quite a bit. And that depends on a bunch of different things. You know, if somebody has a channel where the main audience is, you know, nine-year-olds, advertisers love to advertise to kids, of course, but nine-year-olds don't have a lot of disposable income to buy things with. Whereas if you have a channel where the audience is, you know, more middle-aged people with disposable income, you're CPM is going to be significantly higher because advertisers are paying more to put ads on your channel because you have an audience that has the disposable. In you know, it's the same reason that it's not even necessarily how many views or the channel size, but it's sort of, you know, targeting that right audience that is more likely to buy whatever the advertisers are selling. And that's, that makes sense, right? I guess that's, that's how that works. It seems like most of the channels being hit with the invalid traffic bug, Have relatively high CPMs, typically somewhere in the high teens, 20s, 30s, $40, you know, per thousand views, which is relatively high. Some, some go down to, you know, $2, $3, something like that. So that seems to be the the main connection. And it makes sense, you know, like a channel like mine, for example, somebody who wants to start a podcast, they go there and they look at all the podcast setup stuff. They might already it might just sort of be a self-selecting group then of people who are ready to invest in a podcast setup. And so that means you know, YouTube's data and all the fanciness identifies that audience, assigns the channel a higher CPM, and that's that's sort of how that works. And it seems like those are the channels get that are getting hit with the invalid traffic bug, which what that means is at some point, um maybe since november twenty twenty two, but for most of us since August of twenty twenty three, At one day you log in to your YouTube account and you get this notice that says uh, ads are being limited on one or more of your videos due to invalid traffic. And there's no real explanation. It just makes it sound like you did something wrong. And it's a little bit scary to see that. For me, it's scary, not just because the ad revenue which we'll talk about, but it's like, is my channel in trouble? Is, am I in, like, am I in trouble or am I going to get a community strike or a guideline strike? Is my channel going to go away? Like, what does that mean? There's not really any guidance. And so you can do chat support with YouTube, which is actually really nice. Like you can, um, I don't know when this option becomes available. I think maybe when a channel hits a certain size, you have a little chat option and it's surprisingly accessible, which is awesome. And I don't think your channel has to be that big for it to show up. Um, I mean, when I say that big, I don't think you have to have like 100,000 or 50,000 subscribers or anything. Um, but in this case, it's not particularly helpful. They just sort of tell you, hey, uh, this is what invalid traffic is. It essentially means they think you're using bots and spam and stuff to, um, to drive traffic to your channel, which obviously I'm not and I have never done. I've never bought a bot in my life. And it makes, that's against YouTube's terms of service. So if you're buying views or buying subscribers and their systems detect that, they can um, delete your channel, terminate your channel, which is very scary if you're now like, you think I'm doing something like that? Like, am I going to be in trouble for that? And that's kind of it. And they just sort of send you to this help article that defines invalid traffic as essentially what I just told you. And it's like, don't be sure you're not buying views and that you know where your traffic's coming from. It's like, it's the internet. I can't control (laughs) where traffic comes from. Like I have, I, I cannot control those things, but I know I'm not buying views for my channel. And I know a weird thing too is that at least the channels who have been vocal about this, a lot of them are kind of like mine. They're channels that have been around for a long time and channels that have been in good standing for six, eight, 10 years or more. It would be really weird if all of us who have put so much time and effort into our channel, never broken any rules, just been good rule-following YouTubers the whole time. If suddenly, at the exact same time, for some reason, we all decided to start buying views, it makes no sense. Like, obviously, that's not what happened. Obviously, this has to be a bug. If you don't have access to YouTube chat, you can always go on Twitter and and uh, you know write a thing to at Team YouTube. The problem is you get the same response. Like this is what invalid traffic is. Here's the link to our generic help article that says what intra- invalid traffic is. It doesn't tell you when your channel won't be dinged. And a big scary thing is that if you're a channel that earns revenue, it cuts your ad revenue anywhere from 40 to 90%. And so over the past six weeks or so, a lot of people have been posting their their ad revenue, this it looks like a roller coaster, like it goes up and up and up. And then there's just a crazy drop. And, you know, it represents, for some people, that might be a couple hundred dollars a month. For other people, that might be tens of thousands of dollars a month. And it, it varies all over the place. Now, obviously, one of the golden rules of YouTube is don't rely on ad revenue for your income because it, it's volatile. And it it does, you know, change for a number of reasons, it's not unusual for your ad revenue to change. In my six plus years of doing YouTube, I've never seen this kind of a change. For me personally, um, it's been relatively consistent. So even though they say don't count on it, for me, it has been pretty consistent. Um, Typically, you know, it gets a little bit higher in the holiday time, a little bit lower in the summer, spring, summer, the middle of the year. But in general, it'll be somewhere between... Uh, you know, eighteen, nineteen hundred dollars 1900 a month on the low end and upwards of $3,000 a month on the high end, which is a pretty big swing. Like, you know, $1,100 is a pretty big gap. But it usually kind of like, you know, maybe the summer would be eighteen, nineteen hundred. dollars $1,900. Then we get in the fall, it goes like $21, $22, $23. Then you have like November, December, usually the highest. January, it starts dipping down. But it's usually, even this year, actually, it was even more consistent at right around $2,200 pretty much every month right until August when it dropped down to 1,200, which is a lot different. And the weirder part with that is the channel, I had some videos that did pretty well. So the channel was growing and, you know, so so the channel is performing better and making way less money. And that's, that's frustrating and confusing and clearly a sign that something is wrong. And, the, the tricky thing when it comes to like trying to figure out how to approach this is you know like where do you draw the line between I guess I guess for me I don't know how to even it's just so many thoughts which is why I'm going to turn to someone else who can articulate things a little bit better in a second but uh, for me it's sort of like at what point do I not count on this at all but at what point you know if it had been relatively consistent for years on end, like, shouldn't I count on it a little bit? Like, okay, that's probably gonna be 2,000-ish dollars coming in from YouTube this month. Okay, that's cool to know. And I just feel like, well, we'll kind of get into this, but when you when you monetize your channel on YouTube, you join the YouTube Partner Program. And I think it would be very interesting if YouTube actually took the word partner seriously in that because right now, it's it's not. And what's really scary, too, is in addition to this invalid traffic thing popping up, some people are having their Google AdSense account deleted. So I don't know of anyone who's had their channel deleted for it yet. But a lot of people, it seems like, especially people who are relatively new to being monetized, like within 30 days or so, their AdSense account gets deleted. So if you if you don't know what an AdSense account is, when you get paid through YouTube whether it's ad revenue, super chats, memberships, whatever, it goes into a Google AdSense account, and that's what pays out to you every month. That's what has all your tax info and all that kind of stuff. It's also what you would get paid if you, I guess if you did like, you know, if you were, I don't know, running ads, or you were getting some kind of revenue from another YouTube service that's not, or sorry, another Google service that's not YouTube, it would all go into your AdSense account. Now, a scary thing is that when your YouTube channel, if your YouTube channel is deleted for violating terms of service, you're not allowed to start a new one. And it'd be terrifying if that happened, you know, and you didn't do anything, but you're not allowed to start a new one. Of course, though, how hard is it to just change your IP address or create a new Google account and start a new YouTube channel? Like if YouTube finds out that somebody did that, they could delete that channel right away because that person's not supposed to have one. But it's pretty hard for them to prevent an individual from starting another one, even if their account is terminated. When it comes to an Adsense account if it's it's the same thing if yours gets terminated you're not allowed to enroll or start again but this time there's you're really out of luck because it's tied to your bank accounts your tax info your you know you're a ten ninety nine contractor at least in the u s through Google so you can't you have to like get a new identity entirely so it, it, the point being is that it really puts people in a hard place and I feel like A lot of stuff that I've heard is like, well, you shouldn't rely on ad revenue in the first place. And I know that. But also, what if, and hear me out, what if the YouTube Partner Program kind of valued the partnership and making it feel like maybe there is, there's always going to be volatility and uncertainty in anything Especially anything technology related, especially anything that involves, you know, trends and audiences and whatever, like YouTube does. So they can't guarantee a certain amount of payment or anything. But what if, you know, just the level of care and support, it would require more on their end. But the very, very frustrating thing that I have found with this invalid traffic thing, and honestly, even a couple other times when I've needed support for smaller issues, is YouTube does not make any distinction between channels at all other than like Mr. Beast or Linus Tech Tips. You know, if you have 20, 150 million subscribers, then you kind of have a little direct, and I get it, they're pulling in a lot more eyeballs and a lot more advertiser revenue for the platform. So YouTube's gonna pay a little more attention to them. But it is wild how it kind of seems like channels with even several million subscribers, all of the hundreds of thousands, down to below the hundreds of thousands, everybody's just sort of in the same pile. And the reason that I, this is not a self-serving thing. This is something I've said and thought since my channel was very, very small. I don't think they should all be treated the same in YouTube's eyes. And I don't, I mean, when I say that, I mean not have like the same opportunities or anything, but I know YouTube has a million, you know, 12 year olds with YouTube channels that did something stupid and got deleted and their complaint. It's like when I was a teacher and I would see a kid talking in class and I'd say, please be quiet. And they'd say, I'm not talking. And it's like, Why are you denying reality? Like, I saw you talk. I'm sure YouTube deals with that all the time. People violating rules left and right and saying, no, I didn't do it. And it's like, uh, there's video evidence that you did. But there's also a lot of people who don't. And I feel like when you have a channel that has been consistently publishing to the platform for a long period of time, building up an audience, not violating community guidelines or anything... That seems like a valuable asset and YouTube's current approach kind of seems to be that YouTube, that YouTube creators are very fungible. It doesn't matter. If Tom stops making videos, who cares? Someone else will do it. It's, it's like, uh, there's a scene in an old Simpsons episode where Lisa was on the yearbook staff and it's the end of the school year and they, they like send out the yearbooks And she, before like passing him out, she's like, I just want to take a moment to like thank the staff of the yearbook thing. And Nelson's like, ah, shut up. Like, if you didn't do it, if you didn't do it, some other nerd would have. That's kind of how YouTube views creators. Like, ah, if you didn't upload the video, some other nerd would have. Which is kind of true, but there's a huge difference between someone uploading a video and someone building a channel. Those aren't the same thing. And so it's almost like, Right now, YouTube has all these options. But if times were to get leaner or there were more issues with spam and all this crazy stuff, you know, having a, a group of channels that you can trust, that you can rely on, feels like to me it's worth building a partnership with that. and And, you know, they have proven themselves to be a valuable asset to the platform. So now maybe the platform extends a little bit of, you know, you don't get the same response as the you know the 12 year old who uploaded one video violated terms of service and is now complaining to on twitter to team youtube you as like a career youtuber don't get the same you know put in the same pile with that and and that's i i think that that would be YouTube does a lot of things right in terms of features and honestly even the revenue they pay is way better than other platforms like it is a it is a probably the best creator platform that there is in terms of you know sharing content and stuff but like what if they what if they really i don't know took the time to ch- do their best to actually make it almost feel like there's a little bit of security and a little bit of stability in creating on this platform I feel like that would changed things quite a bit for a lot of creators. And so my takeaways here, (laughs) the takeaways that I've come from this, because it's been very frustrating, not just the revenue part, it is very frustrating to suddenly lose a thousand plus dollars of income every month. That's not very fun. But, you know, like, like I said, I've not made a habit of relying on YouTube. It's kind of the icing on the cake. It's not the thing that pays the mortgage or anything like that. But it'd be kind of cool if it could be, Right. And I guess I guess that's what it's kind of been a reminder of is like, okay, make sure not to get too comfortable with that. Make sure to have the other things out there. You know, it's really nice to have courses to offer. Some people have merchandise, like, you know, and and some of those things have bad, bad juju connected with them. You know, like an influencer selling an online course, I always feel a little like, ugh, when I say like, hey, I have an online course, but it's like, I was a teacher for 11 years and I I know my courses are good and I know other things are, I know other people's courses are, you know, someone spent an afternoon with an iPhone up against a whiteboard and they're charging $800 for it. I, and that's, you know, it is what it is. Like Not everything is created equal, but it's nice to have that stuff. And the thing that has been really, that I really, really want to nurture And this is, I guess, why it's been good, because I said, I think even last season, I mentioned this a couple of times, I really wanted to nurture the channel supporter, the Patreon, like the people who go above and beyond to provide support for creators is something that I really want to nurture. And this was just a reminder to kind of like, that's a really good thing to do, because for a long time, what I felt was I didn't want to take money from like, I I didn't want to take money from like the audience, you know? It just was like, no, I'm happy to just give you stuff for free. And then this giant corporation can pay me. Like I'll take money from Amazon or money from Google or whatever. The giant corporation pays me. I keep being able to make stuff and then you get to watch it and that's it. But even I guess what I learned is as somebody who is a patron of a lot of creators and, and podcasts and things on Patreon myself, I really like that. And I like when I see someone doing something that I admire, I like being able to support them in some way. And, and that's not a bad thing. And the number of people over the years who have reached out be saying they genuinely want to support, like they almost get disappointed when I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So, you know, I've always had that stuff for a while, but I've really been trying to nurture it. And, you know, if I want to put extra attention, extra time into something, making something, I want it to be that stuff for, you know, I just want it to be that stuff. And I think that that's really important. So that's been kind of my big reminder of kind of revamped my Patreon a little bit. Um, You know, same with YouTube channel memberships, they're exactly the same thing. So that being said, if you want to support the podcast and want to support the channel you can go to patreon.com slash Tom Buck and sign up for the tier that you want, and then it will bring a tear of joy to my eye. But of course, that is not not something that's expected, and it's not something that's expected to be done eternally, like you know you're free to leave at any time if you were to do that, please don't feel bad about it. Um, but the thing that's great about it is obviously it lets people choose you know the lowest tier the lowest tier i have is five dollars, the highest one's fifty dollars, and people can do custom amounts. So if someone wanted to do an insane amount they could if someone wanted to do two dollars or I guess not two six dollars a month, you know they could, and that's you know that's pretty reasonable. Um, But what's great is when you have enough people doing that, nothing relies on any one person. There's no undue, like, pressure on any one person or any one source. And so, you know, new people come in, existing people leave, and that's okay. And everything kind of keeps going, and it really takes away the pressure from, you know, oh, geez, my ad revenue is going down. Maybe I need to do a sponsored video that I don't really want to do. Or maybe, you know, maybe I need to start working with this brand that I don't really want to work with or something, which fortunately is not something I've had to do, but lots of people have. And the thing with the invalid traffic bug is there are lots of people who have quit their YouTube channels over it, which I also have feelings about because my thought is, if the only reason you're making YouTube videos is because of the ad revenue, well, that's not why, that's, Yeah, ultimately, I wanted to be comfortable knowing that if there was zero dollars in ad revenue, I would still want to be making YouTube videos and building my YouTube channel. And fortunately, the silver lining is that so far, the channel itself doesn't seem to have been hurt. Like, it still seems like there's no, whatever, like shadow banning or suppression or anything, like videos are still going out, channel's still growing. You know, that part doesn't seem to have changed that much, but the invalid traffic thing Absolutely, you know, has been tanking the revenue, which is also a huge bummer at this time of year because this is typically when it starts going up, not really, really down. But that's, you know, it is what it is. I understand. As Heather always tells me, like, that's the street you've built your business on. So now you got to deal with the neighborhood. Okay. Yes. And that's true. Now, I have had a hard time articulating this. I've even had a hard time explaining it to Heather, who, you know, understands all this stuff because it just sort of brings up a lot of feelings. And I'm going to read you a couple of things from somebody else who has done a much better job of this, of putting all of my thoughts and feelings into words, and that might help you understand the issue or explain it to someone, or if you're a creator yourself and you're experiencing this, it might help you sort of, it just might help. And I think it's an interesting thing to kind of dissect. So this is all from Daniel Batal on Twitter. Uh, His username is at Daniel underscore batal b-a-t-a-l daniel is he has a channel he's a fairly large channel and he's a pretty well regarded like youtube coach youtube channel consultant kind of person that's probably maybe a little not the full picture of what he does but he's a really nice guy fun fact he is the person who gave me the idea for mounting my microphones on the wall a couple of years ago so all the mics that are mounted on the wall got that from him um and something interesting happened that made me almost like him a little less and then like him a lot more recently, which was a couple of weeks ago at the time I'm recording this, there was some sort of event where uh, a number of YouTube creators were invited to like a conference type thing with a lot of YouTube executives, including the new CEO and everything. And so Daniel was, you know, sharing all this stuff about, oh my gosh, like, here's me and the YouTube CEO, here's me and all of these, you know, admin exec people from YouTube And then after that was over, there have been people who are trying to get YouTube to acknowledge this invalid traffic issue because individually, if you go to Team YouTube or YouTube customer support, they just point you towards that same support, generic support article I mentioned earlier. And so what creators have been doing is trying to kind of band together and go, look, it's not just this person, that person. It's hundreds of us who have done nothing wrong and now are being made to feel like we have done something wrong. So like acknowledge all of our voices without just a generic help article, but it hasn't really been successful. Like all of those group efforts haven't really been successful. And so after this YouTube event, Daniel, you know, I would saw him, saw him sharing stuff and posting stuff, and he was really interacting with people who were talking about invalid traffic. You know, someone would say, you know, I think it's because of this or that reason. And he'd be like, why do you think that? What makes you feel that way? And I was getting the impression That it was after spending time with, you know, I was almost getting the impression he had drank the Kool-Aid and now was trying to disseminate the Kool-Aid amongst the people. And I was like, oh, like, no, like, none of these people have done anything wrong. Everyone here is, like, scared and frustrated. And even if they don't like the the situation, I feel like they're willing to understand it, but nobody's actually explaining it to them. Well, I was totally wrong because what Daniel was doing was not spreading the Kool-Aid. He was listening, and he took, after, like, a week of doing that, he took... All of the response, he sort of like curated everything into this one relatively long shareable post on Twitter. So it's a great thing that, you know, you can, I know it's not called Twitter anymore, but I don't, it's a shareable post on Twitter and you can retweet it. You can email it. You can copy paste it. And it's just so, I just really appreciate the time and effort that went into it. So I wanted to go through that and read that to you. And maybe kind of like talk about some of the points in there. So Daniel starts off by tagging and addressing dear at team YouTube. We understand that you're dealing with invalid traffic from a variety of sources, and we realize it's no small problem for you. The advertisers you do business with and the greater creator economy. We understand that we may often become frustrated and often don't always ask the right questions when problems arise. We also understand that YouTube is a place we think of as home because all of the wonderful things you've provided to us over the years and continue to provide. We further understand the reason why you might be limiting ads on content when your systems detect invalid traffic on the platform. We even understand why you're being so tight-lipped about what you're doing behind the scenes to mitigate invalid traffic issues because we know you're trying to maintain the integrity of your invalid activity detection system in an attempt to prevent people from from circumventing the system. So he starts out, that's as a former English teacher who taught rhetorical strategies, he starts out in a great way by identifying with them instead of just attacking, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. It's We understand your situation. And that, you know, to us, me and my channel is a very big deal. To YouTube, it's one of many, you know. And so he starts out by saying, we understand all of this stuff. And the thing he talked about about the uh, like proprietary detection system, that is something that has frustrated a lot of people because when you get the message that ads are being limited on one or more of your videos, and you ask them, okay, what videos? Like, let me go check out what's going on there. They will not tell you what videos, and that is really frustrating. And the reason they won't tell you is because they say, oh, if we told you, it would uh, you know give away some proprietary technology of how we detect this stuff. I. Don't buy that because it doesn't make sense. You, I don't, you telling me this video is doing some weird stuff with traffic does not in any way tell me how you know that. I just assume you're Google and you have a whole bunch of data and tools and technology to figure this stuff out. I don't know what it is. It's not my, it's way beyond my pay grade to know what that is. To me, well, you know what? I'm going to tease this. I also have a bit of a conspiracy theory that may or may not be based in reality. And uh, we'll come back to that at the end of this letter, because this is also, it's just sort of the sad part. But anyway, Daniel starts off with all the we understanding, and then he switches, and this is all broken up into really nice paragraph format with bold lines. It's like very easy to read. And that's also a great way to communicate, is not just communicate clearly and diplomatically, but also in a way that's easy to see and understand. So he goes on to say, What we don't understand is why you've left us seemingly in the dark. We don't understand why, without notice, you would twist the spigot and shut off ad placement even on legitimate organic views and diminish a creator's total revenue by 80% with no clear answers as to how long creators will have to survive on a fraction of our typical earnings. Links to your support pages that don't give us any real answers to our questions are not enough. We are real people with real families, real employees, real mortgages, and real financial commitments. We are creators with communities we've worked hard to build on YouTube in order to provide the very revenue that sustains these things. Communities who spend time on the YouTube platform, enjoying our content and engaging with your advertisers. We are the very people who have made YouTube the success that it is right alongside you. We are, by your own word choice, your YouTube partners, and we are in crisis. And I really like that it means a lot, you know, anyone can say things, but when you do have someone who has a larger audience, who has a long, repu- longstanding reputation and who was, you know, the week before writing all this, hanging out with the, you know, the CEO of YouTube and stuff, I feel like it means a lot and it has a lot of sway. And I saw Daniel get a little bit of criticism from somebody who was like, oh, did you actually say anything to the CEO when you were with him? And he was like, there's a time and a place, and that was not the time or the place. Like, you don't go to someone's wedding and start airing your personal grievances with them. Being tactful and being diplomatic is a very important part in working towards a resolution. So now he continues on and says, imagine you at YouTube suddenly finding that 80% of your entire platform revenue was instantly and indefinitely removed with no clear answers as to how and when it would ever come back, if at all. Wouldn't that put you into a crisis mode as well? We have been patient as possible up to this point, but this issue dates back years for creators we all know personally. And from our standpoint, it only seems to be escalating. Suddenly, we see many more creators who've had access to their AdSense account suspended and subsequently, YouTube partner program monetization removed entirely through no fault of their own. There is a simple answer here. We need transparency. We want to know what the end game is. And this is really, this is Tom talking now. This is what uh, what I have seen a lot of people say is, okay, we know ad revenue goes up and down. What we... What freaks us out is being left in the dark. What freaks us out is not knowing, you know, today it's ad revenue. Tomorrow, is it the whole channel? Like, you know, where does it end? And we don't know. And there's no answer. There are no answers being given out in any real way for, you know, so many people over such a long amount of time. And so a lot of people have said that they would just be happy to have some transparency, like just let us know what's happening. So, you know, give us the rules, give us the lines to color within. But if you're giving us a blank sheet of paper and then getting mad when we're not making, you know, coloring the way you want us to color, you got to give us some lines to color in. So, Daniel goes on to say, "We want to know what the end game is. We want to know that there are changes currently being made that will put an end to this plight for well-intentioned creators who have been hit with invalid traffic notifications due to external forces and no misdeeds of their own. We want to know that strategies, tools, and support are being built to protect your YouTube partners as well as your advertisers. We want to know what those changes might be and when they will take effect." We want to know what you're developing, that you're developing a well-trained support team specifically to help creators who've had their AdSense accounts and monetization suspended or impacted. It only works when we're in this all together. We await your reply. And I love, again, just from a rhetorical standpoint, you start with the we understand where you're coming from, this is where you're coming from, this is where, sorry, where we're coming from, and this is what we want, and then it ends with a, you know, we're all in this together. And I like that he's not writing that, he's writing this, we await your reply. So I can take this and share it and repost it. And it's like all of our voices is one. It's not just, he's not just writing it as his words, which I really appreciate. So I thought that was an awesome articulate post that I hadn't seen anyone else really been able to, including myself and able to explain that, that clearly. And I think that was really great. And there's even a follow-up that I want to go over, but I want to talk about my conspiracy theory first. This is just, Okay what do they call it speculation my own opinion youtube is, youtube is google and google is very advanced so for me to like to to believe that a tr- that a channel could be hit with invalid traffic okay something's happening traffic seems suspicious a flag is going to go up what's going on with this channel it seems very unlikely that they would not be able to identify whether that's organic traffic or bot traffic literally bought as in b-o-u-g-h-t like paid for or bought as in robot traffic i feel like there are all kinds of signals many many different ways to just sort of for their systems to differentiate what that might be and to even probably take it a step further and connect the dots like okay maybe i live in california and suddenly there's a wave of views from another country on the other side of the planet but i feel like they could even connect the dots of like oh now your IP address was connected with there. And then after that, you know, there you, you could sort of see someone buying bots from like an overseas click farm or something. And it's weird to me to think that they're not able to do that, to, to really identify what invalid traffic is. So that's why I just don't buy it. But also something that popped up uh, kind of at the same time, it was sort of like this was going on over here, and then over here. If you're just sort of reading a lot of technology news, YouTube got in a lot of trouble with their advertisers over the summer. Um, and I apologize; I don't have the all the details directly in front of me. <laughs> a, a good journalist would do that. I don't have that, but essentially, the long and short of it was that advertisers were starting were threatening to or suing YouTube because they were they felt that they were being almost defrauded on the number of views that their ads were getting, uh, essentially with how YouTube was counting an ad view. An advertiser who pays money to have their ad on a video, they wanna make sure that it's being watched by a real person who's giving it their time and attention. And so a lot of times, you know, if you do just skip the five second ads or whatever, it doesn't really count as a view because you just skip right through it, which is fine. Like, please skip through ads, it's okay. Um, but advertisers want to make sure that that people are actually watching the ads they're play, they're paying for. So if they're paying for a hundred thousand you know views for an advertisement, they want to make sure at the end of that a hundred thousand people saw it. Whether or not they did anything or it was effective is a whole different story. But a hundred thousand people saw it. It didn't go into ad blockers. It didn't go into people who skipped over it. It didn't go into weird things that were embedded on other websites and never actually viewed or never actually played or anything. And I guess. That's kind of what had been happening is a lot of advertisers were realizing that they weren't actually getting the human views on their ads that they wanted and so YouTube kind of owed them kind of needed to like refund them a lot. And to me that's interesting because it's like okay, one that makes sense that YouTube would then want to crack down on invalid traffic and make sure like okay, everything that we're selling, all of the the views and things that we're selling are real views. That's That is their business model, selling to advertisers. I get that. But isn't it nice if you find yourself in a situation where you need to suddenly recoup a large amount of money that you can just sort of slap this amorphous warning on a whole bunch of channels, especially the ones that tend to earn higher ad revenue? And without any other explanation, now you can just sort of garnish their wages and just sort of take their their money away from them. That's my tinfoil conspiracy hat theory, which, you know, after the past few years (laughs) have like soured my take on humanity and corporate culture, kind of makes sense. There's a giant corporation suddenly in trouble with advertisers, loses a bunch of money, pays back a bunch of money, needs to recoup a bunch of money. Okay, who are we paying the most money to? These people over here. Cool. Let's just uh, find a way to put a thing on them and then, and then divert some of their money back to recoup our losses and we don't have to actually explain it because it's just invalid traffic whatever that means so that's kind of like that's my really pessimistic really just personal opinion not a thing that there's like actual evidence of although i feel like those kind of don't need scooby-doo to solve that mystery but that's kind of what i think which sucks and is would be terrible and i would love to not be right about that i hope i'm wrong about that But the other thing, which I thought is very interesting, that Daniel went on to post, this was a couple of days later, is he did link to a study um, from the National Institute of Health, the US government, National Institute of Health. He linked to a study about uh, income loss, which I thought was really interesting. And it's, you know, it kind of sums things up. So this is another post, a separate post from Daniel, but it's kind of a follow up to the original that says, I want to take a moment to remind our friends at YouTube that the National Institutes of Health, a U.S. government agency, studied the effects of people suffering sudden, unexpected, and uncontrollable loss of income during the recent pandemic. Multiple studies concluded that, quote, people who experienced financial crises were more likely to suffer from poor health and increased stress, depression, mental hardship, anxiety, and suicidal behaviors, unquote. Fortunately, many countries had social systems in place to help buffer these issues impacting their communities. I want to remind our friends at YouTube that although we are not currently in that pandemic anymore, the effects of sudden, uncontrollable, and dramatic loss of income on creators through no fault of their own due to YouTube's own invalid activity detection system responses puts this exact same financial stresses on creators. It's only compounded by the inavailability of any significant creator tools or systems in place to buffer or mitigate such losses. Lastly, I want to remind our friends at YouTube that mental health issues surrounding the creator community is something we've been tackling for years. The current invalid traffic issue for affected creators seriously exacerbates each and every one of the above-mentioned mental health issues. We're sincerely hoping that Team YouTube is not only continuing to listen, but actively working on better solutions for innocent creators who have been impacted. Looking forward to hearing more available answers and solutions from you soon. That one is uh, addressed as just from him as an individual. But that is kind of an interesting thing there too, because, you know, I'll use myself as an example here. Like, okay, if I'm making somewhere between, say on average, $2,200 a month on YouTube ad revenue, that's like, that is a a devastating amount of money to not be making every month anymore. But it's also, you know, like I don't make $2,500 a month, right? Like, there are other sources of income. (laughs) There's a whole bunch that kind of pile together to make like a decent middle-class living. And that that is a big part of it. That's usually either the biggest or the second biggest single source every month, like to be sure. But other people, regardless of whether they say like you shouldn't rely on YouTube income, there are larger channels who make five and six figures per month on ad revenue. And so... Imagine if you're not just an individual, you're not just a person, although I have known individuals who make like 20 grand a month on ad revenue, which sounds so nice. Uh, it's never, never happened to me yet. Um, but imagine you're, you have a channel that does make 50 or 100 or $200,000 a month per ad revenue, which is not uncommon if you talk about the high hundred thousands, the millions of subscriber channels, that's actually not uncommon at all. You're probably, I mean, at that point, hopefully you have a business set up so you're not just relying on that ad revenue. But, you know, if you have hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars coming in per month from ad revenue, at that point, that's what a lot of people also do use to run their business, to pay their team, pay their bills, you know, hire people, all that kind of stuff. And if that just disappears, it's really a lot more than just, you know, I think the default is to think of some, Influencer like buying yet another sports car or something. But when you think of essentially a small business owner losing the ability to pay their employees, that you know, even as someone who has no desire to like build out a team and grow all that kind of stuff as a YouTube creator, I recognize that other people do have that desire and are doing that. And that is actually a very good, cool thing that's happening. And yeah, the stress that comes when it's like, oh no, sorry, for no reason, for no actual reason or explanation oh that's just going to go away is uh is very frustrating to people so uh that's you know there's no there's no real solution right now other than for youtube to just stop doing what they're doing the way that they're doing it uh which i kind of hope that they will because the other thing that i should maybe this would be a better thing to leave off with that daniel did say was when he spent time with like the ceo and all the higher end people from youtube that they he genuinely believed they were the furthest thing from not caring. They really did care. They really wanted to make things better and they are concerned with things. And I also understand we're talking about a platform that has like coming up on half the world's population on it. Maybe not over a third of the world's population on it. You know, that's that's a, a lot of people to try to please and make happy, but when you look at that giant number and then you dial it down to those who have channels, to those who have active channels, to those who have channels that, you know, don't violate any guidelines, to those who have channels that have been going for a number of years and built audiences and sort of seem stable and, you know, that is a way smaller group of people that should be manageable to at least serve and communicate with in some way that is more effective than what they're doing now. And that's, uh, that's what I hope happens. So that's, uh, that's all the, the YouTube drama <laughs> that has been happening there. And uh, I don't know, I hope that I hope that made sense or just sort of enlightened, like these are those things that you don't think of when you think of someone being a YouTuber, you don't really think of like, dealing with some corporations, invalid activity detection system, prioritary, prior, pri, what is it? proprietary technology, derailing somebody's income. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. And then it it touches on that, that idea, you know, which I've talked about many times. Well, like no one said you had to do this anyway, or like you, no one said you should do this to get paid anyway. You did that to yourself. it's like, yeah, you could say the same thing about anything though. You get fired from your job. It's like, well, no one said you had to work there. You just, you decided to take that job and they fired you. It's like at a certain point, we're all just doing the best we can, right? And, you know, as much as I like to preach the the gospel of not creating with money being the ultimate motivating factor, we all need to survive. And if you can provide something to the world and you can use your creativity to survive and to thrive, I think that's a really cool thing and a really fantastic thing. And when something really dumb comes along to threaten that, I think it's okay to be upset about it. And I also think it's okay to be optimistic that it will be resolved well, hopefully expeditiously, and also use it as a learning opportunity or a reminder of what to do to protect yourself in those situations. It um, it really, I mean, going back to even having a website, this is, I don't know, maybe a thought to wrap up on, but uh, when I was a teacher, my first year teaching it was so confusing because it was the 2010-11 school year. I, it, was, it was during the Great Recession, but like into the Great Recession. So there were no, there was so many teachers being fired every year. There was like impossible to get a job as a teacher. And of course I'm like, well, I just the only thing I've been planning to do is go to freaking teacher credential school over here after college. So uh, cool, that's going to be fun. Um, and then my first year as a contracted teacher, I won teacher of the year and then I also got pink slipped. <laughs> so it was very there was literally a day where I was holding a plaque that was like teacher of the year. And then in one hand and in the other hand holding a pink slip saying, like, ah, oh, you're not gonna have a job next year. And fortunately, uh, when you get pink slipped, or at least at the time when you got pink slipped, they would give you the pink slip in March, and then it was the middle of May that they had to either confirm or like rescind. The pink slip. So you work for a couple of months, kind of like, what do I do? Do I have a job? Like if I'm getting laid off, you know, hundreds of other people are getting laid off. It's not like I can just go jump into another school. Like there's not going to be a job. It's a little bit stressful and and awful and terrifying. And fortunately, in that case, literally on the deadline day, I was I remember I was in my first period class and the classroom phone rang and it was like the HR department saying, like, we want to let you know that we have rescinded your pink slip. And I was, and My students, my ninth grade English students, my ninth grade English as a second language students uh, knew kind of what was going on. And they got the call and they were like, was that them? And I I was like, yes. And they, they cheered. We were just happy the rest of the year, (laughs) the rest of the class period. We didn't do any more work. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say that. Yes, you gave my job back. And then we immediately stopped working in class. But it was, you know, it was like, that's, that was stressful, not just for me, but also for students. Like they, Wanted their teacher to stay at the school and maybe be able to take another class from that, you know, like these things have such a greater effect. But anyway, a couple of years later, when I was, you know, after I had kind of moved over to teaching digital media and was building up a digital media program and had kind of made a lot of progress there, the teacher I was in the program with was like, Oh, do you have you thought about building a website for your part of the program, for your pathway in the program? And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, like a class website could be cool. He's like, no, like a portfolio website. It's like a running thing that shows everything that you're doing. It's all the like the awards, the accolades, the student work. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of that hub. And he had a very, like, still to this day, has a very like rich, content rich website where it's just so much stuff. And he explained to me, he was like, yeah, a couple years ago, this was like before I had been pink slipped. You know, he was part of the visual and performing arts department before it was like an academy that was getting funded from the state and everything. So, you know, whenever there's budget cuts, of course, visual and performing arts are the first thing that people want to take out of the budget, sadly. And he, it was kind of the same thing. He had gotten pink slipped, kind of hang on by, hung on by a thread and was able to keep his job. And he told me that after that happened, he wanted to make sure it would never happen again. And a way to do that was to show others what he's doing so that he is an undeniably valuable asset to the school and the community. And I thought that was really, really good advice. The same thing applies to the world of being an online creator. And that's, you know, people will say, oh, you should just have your own website. Okay, cool. But like, like what does that mean? Like a website says, hi, here's my website Go to my YouTube channel. Like, what you know? What do you put on your website? And that was my personal website for like two years. Was just a splash page that was a link to YouTube. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was essentially like just holding the URL. But it's kind of that same thing. You're building up. You're you're staking out your little space that no one can take away from you, and you're you're putting together kind of a portfolio, a, a collection of. Everything that you do, everything that you're interested in, everything that you offer, everything that you provide, whether it's for money or not, like, you know, maybe you're just providing free resources or just sharing, like, here's a collection of work that I've done. Maybe you do have products and services to offer as well. But those kinds of things, YouTube's never going to look at that and, you know, like go, oh, you got a good website. We'll delete this invalid traffic problem from your YouTube channel. But it is one of those things that, you know, when when 40 to 90% of your income from one source disappears, now you have this other resource that you might be able to tweak and mold and play with to help generate, to help recoup that without having to just take a bunch of money from creators by slapping a, a fake warning on their channels, <clears throat> he said, and reference to a conspiracy theory he thinks is true. Anyway, it's probably a good time to wrap up. Uh, I hope you enjoy that. I think this stuff is also interesting. You know, this is uncharted territory. These things have never, we've never mature. A a creator-based platform that has matured to the point of having these issues is not something that has existed in the past. And so navigating them and figuring out what's happening is something that everybody's doing. And I do think that even underneath the stress and everything, it is absolutely fascinating. And I think Daniel did a great job of articulating in several posts maintaining the humanity and the reminder that there are real people on all sides who are dealing with this and can we work together to solve it i think that's actually a, a genuinely optimistic take so again if you want to share anything if you want to share any thoughts or whatever you can just go to hi my name is tom.com and click the speak pipe link and if you want to send send a good old-fashioned email you can always email me at tom and enthusiasmproject.com and that wraps up Episode one of season 11, 1-11. That's pretty cool. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week. And I will see you next time.